before we get uh, too far into things, I want to just make one little invitation and reminder of a Meet the Staff lunch that's happening next Sunday after second service. If you're new here, or even if you're not new here, but you feel new here, and you'd like to get more information about our staff and those who, and just to make sure our staff are here to serve you. Our staff are not here to rule you. Our staff are not here to be the authority over you. Our staff are here to serve you. If you want to come and meet the servants of this church, we'd love to have you. Here's my only request. Can you let us know you're coming? Um, Because there's nothing worse than showing up to meet the staff lunch and there's not enough lunch. So here's how you can do it. In your bulletin, there's information on how to sign up. You can also go outside uh, to the information center and sign up there, or simply just find someone good looking and tell them you're coming and hold them accountable to letting us know. Uh, Meet the staff next. (laughs) See, this is why the pastor's wife is important. It's not November 20th. It is next Sunday, April 23rd, the pastor's son says. So that's why the pastor's family is important as well. We are off to a great start. Well, just show up for lunch whatever day you want, and we'll be here, and we'll figure it out. I'm really excited about this next series. I'm really excited about going through the study of Malachi for a number of reasons. Number one, I I think people tend to shy away from the Old Testament. People think that it's either it doesn't speak to them or they're going to read through it and not get it. And so a lot of pastors, a lot of churches, we just hang around the Gospels and we hang around Paul's epistles. And as a result, we miss out on great depth messages of God that were sent to God's people thousands of years before, but still have a meaning for us today. So I'm excited about the the book of Malachi. But if you really want to understand the, the messages of Malachi and why they're important, we need to go through a little history first. The first part of history you need to know, let's go all the way back to the beginning of their heyday. I mean, King David. King David was the greatest king of Israel. Israel, during the reign of King David, hit their highlight. They hit their peak. It was like the Reagan years of America. There was some drama. I mean, there were some issues, but all in all, the area of Israel, the people of God, seemed to really pretty much throughout the entire time, they, were, they did great. And that, and that season of prosperity followed his son, Solomon. But after Solomon's reign, the kingdom of Israel divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel had a series of bad kings that would lead them into idolatry and that would end up leading them to a time of just destruction from Assyria. Here's a list of their bad kings, every single one. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah was different. They had a mixture of bad kings and good kings. The bad kings would come in and lead the people 
into idolatry, but then a good king would come. Lead them in a time of repentance and restoration. And then over time, bad kings would come. And after a number of cycles of this, because of their sin, God allowed them to be conquered by the city of, by the people of Babylon. Now, right before their conquer, there were prophecies right before and right after this destruction that God was promising them to rebuild them, to restore them to something greater than they'd ever seen. It was going to be greater than the days of David. It was going to be greater than the days of Solomon. And the people prayed for 70 years in captivity for this time. Just like God promised He allowed them to go back to the promised land after 70 years. They were allowed to rebuild their temple. They were allowed to restore their practice, their families. But it didn't seem the same. When they returned, their longtime nemesis, the Edomites, who inhabited the land began conquering, began running terrorist activity, and there was a lack of safety. There was a lack of comfort. Their economy was trashed after 70 years. It hadn't come back the way they expected, and as a result, their tithing was down. Because of that, their temple didn't nearly come back to the luster that they dreamed. When they came back, there were different religious factions in the area, different different leaders saying different things. As a result, the people were confused. They didn't know what was truth and what wasn't truth. And uh, after a period of this, he ended up with a group of people who claimed to be spiritual but didn't want to be religious. They believed that God had abandoned them, had left them. They were questioning his power and his plan to complete it in their life. And as a result, their times of worship were passionless, empty, ritualistic. And that's the time that God sent a prophet, Malachi, to those people with an important message. Rekindle your heart for God. You know what I'm excited about this book is I think we have a lot in common with God's people back then. I think there's many Christians in today's world that we expect, we expected better. We find ourselves, a majority of Christians find ourselves under a government that we lack confidence. We have children who lack protection and safety. There is just another shooting. I don't know if you read about that yesterday. We have churches filled with people who claim to be spiritual, but they are not interested in religion, in truth, in doing things God's way. And as a result, we live in a Christian nation where 86% of people claim to be God followers. But more and more, the majority of us don't live that in our lives. Our kids lack clarity on what's right, what's wrong. There's a lack of hope and worry about the future 
In fact, there's even some people who believe that maybe God has abandoned us, especially here in Cookie, California. But that's why I think this book, The Prophecy of Malachi, has important meaning and I think message for us. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in the book of Malachi. It's really easy to find. You go to the very last book of the Old Testament. It's about this far in my Bible. If you want another way to find it, we're really good at finding the Gospel of Matthew. When you find that, just flip one book to the left. It's the last book of the Old Testament, the last prophet before John the Baptist came. Before we go in there, I also want to make mention of our study guides. Every new sermon series, Pastor Jeff and our office staff and some of our leaders put this study guide together for a number of reasons. Number one, we want you to have a place where you can write notes. As God brings something to your mind, as he stirs something in your soul, write it down so you can remember those times. It's also a place where there's great introductory information. Our goal is that you become a great Uh, that you have great understanding about the book of Malachi. One of our goals as a church, we want to train you, equip you to be a student of your Bible. But thirdly, there's questions in there that we hope that you'll go through throughout the week. So we believe if we want to grow in the image of Jesus, we have to give him more than an hour on Sunday. We have to give him time throughout the week, Monday through Saturday as well. And so these questions are there. You can go through them on your own. You can go through them at home with your family at work with your Bible study group, in your small group. If you're like, Brian, I don't have any of those, just join Pastor Jeff and I Wednesday nights right here in the sanctuary. We answer questions that pop up in your life throughout the week, and we do our best to go through the studies. It depends what questions you have. Sometimes we go off rabbit trails and don't get much to the questions. But love to see you here Wednesday, 7 o'clock. If you're looking for a study guide, you're like, Brian, I would love one. They come in three forms. First, they come in the old-fashioned spiral-bound paper where you have to actually carry it around with you. Uh, We had them leaving Easter yesterday. We had them coming in, but you might find yourself, oh, I wish I had one of those. So if you want one, just raise your hand, and one of our uh, leaders are prepared to just come. Just raise those loud and proud. Don't be ashamed. I will not call you out unless you're my wife, my son, something like that. If you want one of those, uh, we also have uh, the PDF version on the webpage. Just go to cvcchurch.org. You can download the entire file in PDF format. We also have it on our church app each and every Sunday. That week's portion will be delivered to you. Just go to your app store and look for the Chino Valley Community Church app. And don't click the Bible thing. Boy, we are struggling today. Don't click the Bible thing, but click the sermon one, which is right next to the Bible one. And each week, those will be delivered to you as well. And just as a little side note, sermons are on the app and the webpage as well. So if you find yourself sick on vacation, but you don't want to get behind in Malachi, check out our sermons online as well. Now that we got all that through, let's get into the book of Malachi. Chapter one, verse one, here's how it begins. It says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. That term oracle, when we think about that term oracle, we tend to think of a crystal ball or a supernatural float that just, a note that just floats down from heaven. And that's not what the word oracle means in this context. The words used describe a powerful pronouncement, a burden or something that comes from a strong desire in the heart. This is something that's deep in God's heart for his people. 
This is an oracle of the Lord. It is a burden in his heart. But it's through Malachi. See, the way the oracle, that term oracle is used in the text, it's not just a burden of God's heart. It's a burden of Malachi's heart. This is something that God had to work through with Malachi first so that Malachi can share it with his people. And I love that truth because sometimes we have these images of these prophets and these kings and these spiritual leaders as if they have all of their spiritual life worked out. The text says at the very beginning, God had to begin with Malachi. Malachi, this is something that's deep in my heart. Let's work this through, Malachi, so then you can be equipped to share this message. And let's look at the message. After we're learning about this oracle, this something that is deep in the heart of God that he had to wrestle and work through with Malachi so it'd be deep and personal in Malachi's heart as he delivered it to the people. Here's how this message begins. Begins this way. I have loved you, says the Lord. That's the first message of Malachi to his people. I have loved you. And in the Hebrew, it's, it's in the tense, I have always loved you. There has never been a time, God says, where I have not loved you. And I want to unpack that for a moment. Because if you know Israel's history, when they were complaining and cursing God while they were enslaved in Egypt, God still loved them then. When God rescued them out of Egypt, as God was establishing them as his people, and they were down and afraid in the valley, and they and they gave their worship to a golden cow instead of God. God still loved them. When they made sacrifices to false gods, when they gave their offerings to wooden statues, or even during times where they sacrificed their live newborn babies in the bronze altar of Baal, God still loved them. That's the message that Malachi begins. There's never been a time. God, I've always loved you. Through your good times and through your bad times, I have always loved you. First truth of Malachi, how the oracle of Malachi begins, the love of God is everlasting. The love of God is everlasting. But look how it continues. It says, I have always loved you, says the Lord. But then again, my favorite word, that big biblical but right there. The oracle begins where God says, there's never been a time. I have loved you throughout your good times, through your rebellious times. I have always loved you. But you say, the people of God say, how have you loved us? Just when you're thinking the people of God are like, oh, phew, we, God, we must be missing you. We really thought you abandoned us. Nope. They're like, oh, really? You loved us? How have you loved us? Our kids aren't safe. Our churches are empty. Our culture's kooky. Our, our cupboards are bare. We've we have no recollection of our history. Like, oh, our present pales in comparison to where we used to be. Oh, really, God, how have you loved us? I was thinking this week, you ever feel like that? You come to church, you read something in the Bible, it talks about the love of God, and you're like, where? Not me. 
I know some of your history. Some of you come from hard times where you've had to rebuild out of ashes. And sometimes when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you wonder if God is with you. There's others of you in your home. Maybe it's your marriages or your children. And you've been praying and asking for God's activity and work in a miraculous way. And you don't see his work. And you come to church. You hear people talk about the love of God and you're like, really, where is that? Some of you are sick. Some of you are going through horrific medical treatment and procedures where you're just reaching out to God, God, please heal, restore, renew. But in your heart you question, does God even hear? The oracle begins through Malachi. It's the word of God through Malachi. It's something in God's heart. God says, believe me, trust me, I have always loved you. And the people are responding, we don't see it. Where have you loved us? I got to tell you, again, the world is lucky that I'm not God. Because I'd be like, okay, fine. You want to see what life looks like without my love? That's how I'd respond. We'd almost expect God to say, okay, I'm done. But God doesn't respond that way. God says, I've always loved you. And they say, how, how have you loved us? And then God responds in very patient, truthful, and descriptive terms. First truth, the love of God is everlasting. Number two, the love of God is on display. God just patiently responds, okay, I'll tell you, I'll show you. So number one, was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Do you remember Jacob and Esau? Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. Esau was the oldest. He was the one deserving the blessing. But God chose Jacob. God says, you want to know my love? You want to see how I love you? I chose you. I chose your bloodline over his I picked you. I hand-selected you. Even through all of your deceit, I've been faithful to you. Man, if you don't know the stories of Jacob and Esau, take a moment this week and go back to history. God says, you want to know my love for you? Look back at history. I chose you. I picked you. I loved you through your good times and your bad times. And then he continues... He says, yet I have loved Jacob, but I hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. And I gotta tell you, there's been all sorts of drama over this passage. Christians get all worked up. How can a loving God hate someone? That whole idea of love and hate, it's like a, a Jewish idiom. It's something that God uses throughout time. Jesus even uses it. He says, hey, if you wanna follow me, hate your mother and father and follow me. Jesus isn't using that every time Mother's Day comes around, you snarl and throw rocks at your mom. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in comparison, 
When you want to describe your commitment to me, the commitment you have to your mom, it looks like you despise her in comparison to me. That's what God is saying here. He's not saying every time I see Esau, I just snarl and just throw judgment. He's like, I've loved you so much, it looks like I hate him. I have lifted you up to the point that in comparison, it looks like I'm judging him. That verse, that's what God's saying, the oracle. Esau or Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Man, I've been so invested in you. It looks like I've despised him. The love of God is on display throughout history. Man, you want to know if God is at work? Sometimes it's hard to see the activity of God when you look frontwards. When you look ahead, all you see are twists and turns, valleys of the shadow of death. My grandpa always told me, you want to have evidence of the providence of God. You don't look forwards. You look backwards. You look through history. And you look how God has walked you through your life. That's the first thing God says, how he responds. You, my love has been on display throughout history. But he continues, it's more than just through history, it's in the present. Look at verse 4. God continues, says, though Edom says, we have beaten, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up ruins. See, Edom, they're the descendants of Esau. They're these longtime rivals of Israel. The Bible tells us that when Israel was taken captive or the southern kingdom of Judah, the Edomites cheered. Man, they have loved having that aspect of power. And one of the people, the people of Israel, during this time of Malachi, the Edomites were the authority. They were the power people. And Israel felt like they were just continually under the thumb of the Edomites. God says, you want to see my love? Even though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. See, Edom had been destroyed as well. But they're looking back at God, shaking their fist and said, we don't need you. We'll build ourselves back bigger than ever. Shaking their fists at God and the people of Israel, like how come the wicked are... Are, are prospering. The Edomites are the rebellious ones. Culture's the wicked ones. They're the ones in charge of everything. They're the ones messing everything up. Look at God's response. Thus says the Lord of hosts. I love that, that phrase, Lord of hosts. It's a title. It's a name. God of angelic armies. God of unlimited power. And you think your rival countries are all that big? You think culture is all that powerful? You think political leaders have all the authority? Because it's thus the Lord of hosts. In our vernacular, thus says the Lord of who's really in charge. The Lord who holds everything in the palm of his hand. The Lord that can exercise his will and his judgment and his blessing Anytime he pleases, in any fashion he desires. Thus says the Lord of hosts. They may build. They might do something cool. But I'll tear it down. 
Men will call them the wicked territory and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. Listen, at the end of time, I'm going to handle Edom. God says, listen, I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm in control of all things. I have ultimate power. Relax. Hey, God, where have you loved us? God says, look through history first. Number two, trust your present. I have ultimate authority. I have all power. I'm in complete control. Relax. God says, my love is on display throughout history. Throughout the present, I was thinking this week, where do I need to have that confidence that God's in control? I mean, King David had that same question, right? A number of Psalms where King David is wrestling with God. How, how come I'm trying to be faithful and life is hard and those people who are wicked, life just seems to be easy? I mean, the rich, the famous, the politicians, they get away with everything. I speed five miles over the limit and I get a ticket. Like, God, how is this fair? I'm trying to serve my spouse. And he doesn't recognize it. I've given everything to my children and my grandchildren, and they don't appreciate it. I've served my country, and I've been a good citizen, and they don't respect me. How come the wicked prosper? If you've ever wrestled that with that in your heart, God's response, relax. I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm the God of angelic armies. I have ultimate power, ultimate control. I will handle this. He also talks about the future. His love on display in the future. Look at verse 5. He says this, in fact, your eyes will see this and you will say the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. God says, in the future, my activity, it's going to explode beyond your borders. Man, you want to see God work. There's going to be a day that my power and my glory just explodes outside. We just went through the book of Acts. As a church, you remember that? How within a generation of people, the work of God exploded from one city and one little country that thousands of years before, or a thousand years before, they just thought nothing was going to come true. In a matter of generations, a group of people who were being put under the thumb of the Edomites we're now seeing the very activity of God explode from the city of Jerusalem that not only changed the known world then, it still changes the known world today. Book of Malachi, it's an oracle of the Lord. It's a deep burden in his heart. They did a work through Malachi. It became a deep burden in Malachi's heart to a group of people who are struggling in faith, struggling in hope, struggling in commitment to the Lord. It would have been easy for God to just start whacking them and cutting them down one flaw at a time, but God started everything with, I have always loved you. Through your good times and through your bad times, I've always loved you. The love of God is everlasting. And if you doubt it, 
Look through history. The love of God is on display of him pursuing God's people from the very start till now. God is slow to wrath. He's quick to forgive. Slow to anger. God is still at work in the present, even though you may feel like it's out of control. God says, relax. I have this. I'm the Lord of hosts. I created everything with a spoken word. Man, it's so funny how we as Christians can believe in the creation. We believe in God's power to breathe everything into existence. But yet we don't trust him with our today. God says, relax. I'm the God of hosts. Malachi told people of God back then, wait for a time where my power will explode. And here's the good news, we don't have to wait. They had to wait. Hundreds and hundreds of years. You don't. The power of God is already here. Third truth I want you to know today, the love of God is available for you today. The love of God is timeless. It's everlasting. The love of God has been on display from history in our present, and it will be on display throughout the future. But you don't have to wait. It's available now. I want to ask you to turn to the complete opposite side of the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New, to the book of Ephesians. I want to read something to you, with you. Book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. I love how the Apostle Paul summarized the activity of God and the availability of God to the church of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul said this, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul begins like, do you remember who you were? Do you remember your fear? your struggles, your guilt, your shame. You remember who you were. Look at verse four, but God, I mean, someday we'll do that series. But God, powerful phrase that's used throughout scripture just when you think all hope is lost, but God. Just when you think your marriage is lost, your family's destroyed, your culture is beyond repair, but God. It's happened throughout time. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. The surpassing riches. That's how he describes his work. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. You didn't earn it. 
There's nothing you can do to buy it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to repay it. It's a gift of God. Why? So you can't take credit. Everything God's done in you and through you, it's God's gift to you. This is how he ends, verse 10, for we're his workmanship. I mean, we're his craftsmanship. We are his project, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we'd simply walk in them. I mean, God set your path. God has saved you. He set you path. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to repay it. You all you have to do is walk it. Just walk it. I was thinking this week, isn't that what Adam did? The Garden of Eden. God just said, here's your job. Go do it. Just go do it. Adam didn't have to make anything up. He just had to do it. He walked in the garden with God. Paul says this is the work of Jesus. This is the promise of God. It's a gift that will transform your life, that will not only save you from your sins, but it will transform your mind and your heart, fill you with his power, and use you for his glory. Man, that is something only the Lord of hosts can do. Plenty of people can boast to save you from your brokenness. No one can redeem you, restore you, and use you in a completely powerful work where people will just shake their head and wonder, how is that possible? The oracle of God. The burden of Malachi was shared to God's people at one of the lowest times of their culture. There's a lack of faith, a lack of trust, a lack of hope. As we get into the text in later weeks, you'll learn there's issues that Jesus could have dealt with. There's issues that God could have spoken to. There's issues the Holy Spirit could have brought up, but he started with the love of God. It's everlasting. It's on display. And it's available for you. My question is this. How do you need to receive the love of God today? Perhaps there's some of you that say, Brian, I'm still separated from God. I still feel like I'm buried in my guilt and my shame. I'm still struggling to have hope in the future. I feel like I'm under judgment. And maybe it's t today's the day where you experience the grace of God. You might think, Brian, I've done too much. I've fallen too far away. I've already gone to Jesus 10 times about this same thing. He's tired of hearing from me. The message of Malachi to his people, the message of Paul to his people, my message to you today, God is never tired. His love is everlasting. He has always loved you. Through your times of obedience and through your times of rebellion, God has always been with you. He's just waited for you to respond. Maybe today's that day. And in a moment, I'm going to give you that opportunity. But those of you might be here and say, Brian, I've already received the love of God. 
I've already accepted his grace and his mercy. I'm just hopeless in my life. I'm not sure if the activity of God is at work in my marriage and home the way it used to. I've lost confidence in his church. I'm not sure a gathering of God's people to hundreds and thousands of people coming in to reflect one image of who Jesus is. Brian, I don't think that's possible anymore. Brian, I'm this close to leaving California because it's kooky and I think God's abandoned it. It's time for me to abandon it too. Maybe this oracle is for you. If you're looking for the activity of God, first, maybe take a moment and look back. So you'll see the way God has protected your children and grandchildren, the way that God has shown mercy in your life. And as you see God, if you've, as you've seen God work in history, maybe that will build faith that God's still working in your present, in your future. Maybe you need to trust your present to God. You worry about your job that God gave you. Let God worry about his job that God reserved for himself. And then let's get back to work of being and making disciples of Christ until Jesus returns. How do you need to respond to the love of Jesus today? Let's pray. God, I for one am grateful for the way that you've worked through your prophets in the days of old and the way that you work through your prophets, through your word, even today. God, if we're honest in a group this size, I think there's people wrestling with your love from different perspectives. God, there's those people who are here who aren't even sure if they're united with you. They're worried they're still under your judgment. They fear your presence. They think that all the hard things in their life are a result of your hatred and your judgment against them. So God, for those people who feel cut off, for those people who are still drowning in their guilt and their shame, who don't have confidence in who they are in you, who have yet to experience the freedom of your mercy and the hope of renewal, God, I pray that you speak to their hearts now that you open their eyes and allow them to see you as I do. Open their ears that they might hear your call, your offer of that free gift of mercy, your promise to transform and renew their life, to cleanse them of all of their unrighteousness and direct them in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God, I pray as they see you and hear you that you give them humility to just lift their burdens to you. Their failures, their brokenness. God, hear their prayers for renewal, for a fresh start, for a new beginning with you. And Jesus, I pray you respond as you've promised that you forgive them their sins, that you fill them with your spirit. You give them a peace that is beyond human comprehension, a joy that is overflowing as they trust their lives to you. 
God, for others in this room who might be a little disenfranchised with religion, God, we want you to move. But we're worried that you've left. We're hopeless when it comes to our homes. We're, we're fearful when it comes to our kids and grandkids. God, we're just dumbfounded when it comes to culture. God, I pray. Help us to see your love at work. Open our eyes that we might see your compassion in our homes, your pursuit of our spouses and our children. Open our eyes that we might see the activity, your activity within your church and within this culture. God, give us eyes to see your power hearts to believe in your plan and your power to complete it, and God, hands and mouths that will be dedicated to sharing it and doing it as we wait for your return. God, I pray as a people, you help us to see your love throughout history, in our present, throughout our future, God, that we might be people that more accurately portray who you are and who you desire to be. We pray everything in Jesus' name.